The election is coming, like you didn't already know that one, right? You're hearing plenty from the candidates about which way you should vote and how casting a ballot for the opponent will bring about the end of the world as we know it. That's politics, and a run-up to this election is unlike anything we've ever experienced. On today's Difference Makers, we do the impossible. We talk about election 2020 without ever mentioning a single candidate. That's because we are talking about the election process, and we're doing it with two local leaders who represent the agency tasked with running the election, the Chatham County Board of Elections Chairman, Tom Mahoney, and the Chatham County Board of Registrars Chairman, Colin McRae. The Difference Makers podcast is presented by Savannah Economic Development Authority. This is Difference Makers, a podcast featuring interviews with Savannah's community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. I'm Adam Van Brimmer, and joining me for the October the 9th episode are Chatham County Board of Elections Chairman Tom Mahoney and Chatham County Board of Registrars Chairman Colin McRae. Absentee ballots for the 2020 election are already being returned, and early voting begins Monday, October the 12th, in the run-up to Election Day on November the 3rd. Given the intense scrutiny on the integrity of this election, and in light of the struggles Georgia faced in the June primaries with the debut of the state's new voting system, the public is incredibly curious about the election process right now. And Mahoney and McRae know the ins and outs as well as anyone, and we're kind enough to sit down together in our podcast studio to share. You are listening to the Difference Makers podcast in a discussion with Board of Elections Chairman Tom Mahoney and Board of Registrars Chairman Colin McRae. Before we continue, let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah area or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now back to the elections 2020 so discussion condense that and i'm just going to ask them again you are listening to a conversation with board of elections chairman tom mahoney and board of registrars chairman colin mcray on the difference makers podcast while tom and colin catch their breath for a moment i want to invite you to subscribe to savannahnow.com hold on now i've got a deal for you for a limited time podcast listeners get the first month for free and pay just 7.99 a month after that for a year that's an inexpensive uh, way to, to reconnect back, with your community and, uh, one story at a time. You'll get the latest from Savannah City Hall, find out what's going on with our schools, you know, uh, catch the latest sports happenings, and enjoy a blend of diverse, insightful county, opinion pieces from our many local, state, and national county. contributors. Uh, Visit so savannahnow.com slash digital only offer to sign up. That's savannahnow.com slash digital only offer. Now, here's the rest of the Difference Makers interview. Colin, what drew you in? Yeah, so... That's a wrap on this episode of Difference Makers. Thanks to guests Tom Mahoney and Colin McRae, and also thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Plant Riverside District Developer Richard Kessler, Savannah's go-to authority on hurricanes, storm modeler Chuck Watson, and convenience store magnet Greg Parker. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. On behalf of myself and producers Asha Gilbert and Zach Dennis, thank you for listening. The next Difference Makers will post October the 23rd. Right. Did either of you consider running for office or even at, uh, you've, you, at the time you mentioned you've been interested in it since you were a, a school child. Uh, did you ever run for anything or we got class presidents in this room? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I ran for things in school, I'm sure, but uh, no, I've never been really interested in running for elected office. Yeah, yeah, because unlike the people that sit on the board of elections, you're not elected. You right. are chosen by the people that are elected. And, and as a lawyer, I think that's a position that maybe lawyers are more comfortable in. Uh, typically, you know, I, I give a lot of advice to to clients and boards and things like that. So uh, serving on a board is more like what I'm used to. Um, I have to say, though, <clears throat> particularly with this experience 
on the Board of Elections. I've got a lot of respect for uh, my colleagues and for just the public at large that put themselves out there and run for office. It's a lot of work. And, um, you know, I hate to say it, most of the people lose, you know, after doing a great job of campaigning and all that. So you you really got to put yourself out there. Yeah. Colin, what about you? Were you class president? Yeah, none of that. Yeah, I never really had much of a political bent. Um, you know, I took kind of passing interest in local politics and, you know, follow things in your newspaper and uh, maybe even get to know some of the local elected officials, but um, saw enough of it to know that it wasn't for me. Um, like Tom, I think uh, I've developed a great respect for the, the you know, candidates and their consultants um, who really know the code very well and um, and how to use it to their advantage in terms of gaining important information about potential voters and that kind of thing. So I've been really impressed at that, um, but I also see how much work it is. <laughs> and I've got a couple of young kids in a full law practice and trying to balance a political office on top of that just seems, uh, you know, just impossible. Right. Yeah. Before we get into what your respective boards and, and what your respective offices do. Let's talk a little bit about uh, getting prepared to vote. We are taping this on October the 6th. Yesterday was the last day to register to vote in Georgia ahead of the November 3rd general election. Uh, a lot of people have absentee ballots now. I, Colin, I think you said about 43,000 have been requested in the, in Chatham County, and they've already gotten back about 5,600 of those. So that kind of tells you about the interest there is in voting. Early voting starts October the 12th at locations uh, around the county. Um, and then Election Day, of course, is November the 3rd. We've also got absentee ballot boxes that have been positioned around the county, which were uh, purchased with the help of the League of Women's, Women Voters and trying to get those ballot boxes in all of the different county commission districts and sounds like we're getting closer and closer to maybe seeing that become an eventuality. I know there was a little bit of a hold up in in the Pooler area in in that district but that that may be working itself out but Tom I know that you and I have talked many many times for this pod or for the commute podcast about voting and elections and as you look at this election and we always say this this is the most important election of our lifetime. But I think this time we really, we really, really mean it. Uh, turnout, I'm going to say, he, uh, four years ago, turnout was in the 70% it range here in Chatham County. I certainly expect it to be higher than that for this time around. If you could tell people uh, or if you could give some advice to people in terms of getting ready to vote, what would you tell them and, and what would you tell them? Well, yeah, getting ready is exactly what uh, people need to do. And, and now's the time. So there are a lot of tools in place and there's a lot of ways to vote and uh, a lot of accommodations to vote. So you no longer are required to go on a horse and buggy into the center of the uh, county seat and vote at the courthouse. You know, <laughs> we've come a long way since uh, since long, long ago. Uh, in addition to voting on election day, which is everyone's right, there's three weeks of early voting. Uh, that is actually from October 12th through October 30th, every single day, including Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, and then if you want to vote uh, absentee, the time to do that is now. But uh, regardless of whether you plan to vote absentee or early vote, or whether you want to vote in poll on election day, you should go on to the My Voter page uh, that is linked on our website and on the Board of Registrar's website and, and is on the Secretary of State's website. And if you put your voter information into that site, you can actually get your sample ballot. Mm-hmm. And then you can prepare. There's, uh, I don't know how many candidates running for Senate. Uh, for It's like 20. 21 in that one. Right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, you need to decide down-ballot issues. Don't go in just ready to vote for president and think your job's done. Right. Uh, you know, you've got other uh, down-ballot races that are important, local yeah. races, too. Uh, Public so, service commission, referendums. Right. There's two county, I mean, two co- constitutional amendments, mm-hmm. and there's a referendum. So, you know, even if you're going to vote in poll on Election Day, 
go ahead and go on and check your registration. Make sure that it's correct. Uh, if there's an error, you want to know that now while there's time to fix it. Uh, and go ahead and get your sample ballot now. And uh, people always ask us, you know, just give me a sample ballot. Well, there's over 20 ballots for Chatham County, and ballot faces are going to be many more than that. So uh, there's not one ballot that I can hand out a piece of paper to everybody. So the best way to check your sample ballot is going to be to go on that My Voter page, put your information in, get that, and prepare. And, uh, you know, however you decide to vote, this is the time to do it. Start start looking at that sample ballot. If you've got an absentee, please get it off your kitchen table. Go ahead and, and send it in either through the mail uh, or use one of those drop boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colin, let's talk a little bit about that. Your obvious office obviously use obviously is in charge of the registrations and also the distribution of those absentee ballots. Now, I know most people are requesting it through the state, but that ultimately routes through the registrar's office. Can you tell us a little bit about how you are managing that process at this point and what do people need to know in terms of of returning those? Sure. So, yeah, our office is responsible for the administration of the absentee ballot process which has grown by leaps and bounds over the last, really over the last six months, but even since I began uh, on the board 15 years ago when absentee balloting was a uh, very small portion of the overall ballots cast, largely because you had to have a reason back then, and now there is no need for a reason. You just Your reason is, I want to vote absentee. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to be out of, out of the state, any of that. Um, so the, the processing of these, you know, um, large numbers of new ballots being requested has required kind of a sea change in our preparation leading up to you know election day so we had to hire additional staff uh we had to find overflow space um we have overflow space over at the trade center Uh, we take up three conference rooms over there full of people yeah full of people processing just the physical ballots um excuse me physical requests um and you know we get a lot of those requests as you say through the online portal that the secretary of state set up Uh, but a number of people are doing it kind of the quote-unquote old-fashioned way Mm -hmm. uh, which is you know taking your smartphone out taking a picture of your completed ballot and then emailing it that's the old-fashioned way now Um, but we um, yeah we we go through the process uh, of validating those um, well we'll get to the ballots I guess in a second but the requests have to be processed at the local level then it's uploaded to the state system and then that triggers the um the contractor that is printing the absentee ballots and envelopes and then they mail them out to the individuals um so it's processed at the local level uh uploaded to the state level and then distributed i.e mailed out by the contracted vendor that that's doing that work yeah I think it's interesting to note because this has come up a couple of times is the secretary of state set up this portal that you can go on and request the ballot and on that portal so this is our public service announcement of mm. the day is it does ask you if you want a republican a democrat or a nonpartisan ballot that field is specific to the primaries it is not specific to the general election there is no partisan ballot in terms of this election so i i guess you could probably just leave it blank or check whatever you want it doesn't matter yeah where you live you're going to get a ballot based on where you live not what uh, party you want to vote in or for that's right your ballot will be specific to your particular voting area and which county commission district you're in house district etc um so actually i'm not even sure i'm trying to remember what i did if i checked one if i left it blank i don't remember i can't remember um but try it both ways if you Try it one way and it's not working. Obviously, try just put any of the other, uh, you know, um, partisan. Another kind of public service aspect of it. Um, we've gotten a lot of calls from frustrated voters who are trying to request through that portal, and I don't have the, you know, IT wherewithal to really talk knowledgeably about this. But there's something with the browser that people use, mm. and it seems that the system prefers browsers other than chrome okay so if you're using chrome and you're having a problem try something as easy as just going to a different browser go explore get explorer or edge or safari whatever um 
and see if that in and of itself fixes it. Um, and of course, if you're still at a loss, you can call our office 790-1520, or you can call the Secretary of State. They may have a little bit better idea about how best to go through the process. But just be patient. It's a new, you know, a new um, portal. There's some growing pains, and um, if you stick with it, you know, it's it's a it's a great resource to use. And you mentioned we could still do it the old-fashioned way, and, and I know that in the spring. The Secretary of State was instructed to mail out absentee ballot request forms to everybody. They are not doing that for the fall. They do have this portal. And I've noticed in my mailbox, I'm getting absentee ballot request forms from people representing the parties. I think I've gotten two with with Donald Trump's face on it. (laughs) And I think I've also gotten one that, that, if you look at the address line, comes from Democratic Party. So there's plenty of opportunities out there to get those forms. And as Colin said, you can fill it out, take it photo and and send it in and you can always of course drop it off in the dropbox you can bring it by the office you can fax it in seven five seven nine zero one five nineteen um but yeah don't be concerned about getting those request forms um it's not any attempt any coordinated effort to try to defraud you or defraud the process what it is is it's political groups whether they be you know parties or you know special interest groups voting are, advocates yeah. yeah they're just trying to you know get the vote out right. and and so we encourage it if you have a question about a particular one call us and we'll tell you whether it's you know a legitimate request form mm-hmm. Um, and of course the when is the ballot request deadline and i think it's important let's go ahead and talk about the fact that they originally said that these could be postmarked within a couple of days after the election that's no longer mm-hmm. the case yeah that's um that was uh, a, a case out of the federal court up in Atlanta ruled several weeks ago um, that the deadline for receipt of absentee ballots should be changed uh, just within the last gosh, couple of business days. The Court of Appeals reversed that. So there's two deadlines, Adam. There's a deadline to request, which is October 30th, exactly. which is three days, four days before the election. Right. I would strongly recommend against anybody waiting until that date because you know, there's a certain time to process that request and then, of course, the time to mail it. I can almost guarantee you, you won't get your ballot in the mail by November 3rd if you wait until October 30th. But technically, you can request it that day. As for the deadline for receipt of the ballots, it is 7 p.m. on Election Day. They have to be received by our office as of 7 p.m. No longer any postmark consideration. So don't think that you can just get it to the mailbox or get right. it to the to the postal carrier as of election day. It has to be physically received by us. So that means in a drop box by 7 p.m. And we're going to have teams stationed at each of the drop boxes. Looking at with, a watch. Looking at a watch, <laughs> 7 p.m., you know, shotgun start. We'll, you know, no, we, we don't want to scare anybody. Uh, but um, we'll also, uh, you know, be going over to the, uh, to the, our, post office box Mm -hmm. several times throughout the day but one last one at the end of their day uh, to collect everything up and if we receive it after that date unfortunately it can't be counted right and i i have to piggyback in on what colin was saying uh you know i was saying let's get it in now now's the time Mm -hmm. and the deadlines is is a, a valid question but the the deadlines really people shouldn't be concerned about those deadlines they should be doing it now if you're going to request an absentee ballot you, you really you really need to have that done now mm-hmm. uh, because Collins group has to process that request before it can be mailed to you before you can get it and then you got to make your decision hopefully get it off that kitchen table and turn it back around and I don't want them all to flood in at the last minute uh, you know because Collins group then has to process all of those before bringing it to us to count mm-hmm. And uh, so it's only going to serve to really over overload the system to get a you know sixty thousand absentee ballots in at the last minute. Um, you know, go ahead and if you want to vote absentee, do it now. And it's important to note if you are if you're worried about an October surprise or something happening between now and election day, you can always take that ballot to the precinct with you, right? You don't. You can put it in. The, you can fill it out and put it in the drop box. But if you're really uncertain, and you know, you wait until November third to see if if something happens. And as we've seen over the weekend, this last weekend, things happen in terms of stuff that's on this ballot. You can always bring your incomplete ballot, your unfilled out ballot, to the precinct, 
yes. turn it into them, and they'll let you vote on the machines on November 3rd, right? Great point. And not only that, I've gotten a, a, a little bit of a wrinkle on that. Uh, seniors that have requested an absentee ballot in prior elections, actually they're given uh, an absentee ballot without even having to request it. Okay. But some of them have asked the question, well, gee, now I've got this and I don't want to vote absentee. So whether you've requested one or whether you received one because you had requested it pre- previously um, and, you don't, and you no longer want uh, to vote absentee, go ahead and bring it with you. Whether you vote early, uh, you know, bring it with you, um, or if you vote on election day in your poll, bring it with you. If you don't bring that absentee ballot with you, then it's going to slow your voting experience down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want that. We want you to be able to vote uh, as efficiently as possible. Um, so, you know, you can bring your absentee ballot with you and uh, voting officials will uh, spoil that ballot mm-hmm. and you'll be out allowed to go to the machines and vote. You are listening to the Difference Makers podcast in a discussion with Board of Elections Chairman Tom Mahoney and Board of Registrar's Chairman Colin McRae. Before we continue, let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah area or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now back to the elections 2020 discussion. I don't want to walk everybody through exactly where all of the early voting locations and the drop boxes are, but can we tell people, if you hear this and you want to know which one's closest to where you live, is it at the the Board of Elections website is where you find those locations? What's the easiest place to find them? That's really more of a Board of Registrar's issue since we administer those early voting sites. Mm -hmm. And I can run through them real quick. There's only six, and I've written them down to remind myself. Let's do it. So Civic Center, Mosquito Control, Islands Library, Southwest Library, the Pooler Recreational Center, and then, of course, our main office on Eisenhower. And that's for the early voting, which that's starts October the 12th. October 12th through October 30. And the, the hours are, you know, they vary a little bit between those locations. Mm-hmm. The libraries, I think, open a little bit later mm-hmm. than, say, our main office. You can always get the hours on our website. And I know we have a drop box at the Eisenhower Drive site as well. Where are some of the locations for the other boxes? Yeah, so let me run through those real quick, too. Um, so we, the League of Women Voters, graciously underwrote the purchase of eight new boxes um seven out of those eight have now been installed and as of yesterday six out of those seven were unlocked and i'm sure that by the time this airs all of them will be unlocked but um great there are civic center the ww law center the liberty city community center the uga extension center out in garden city that's on minus avenue Mm -hmm. the south southwest library the Savannah State, um, right near the football stadium, so you can actually take a left before the gate onto LaRoche, and you can go drop off your ballot there without having to go into the um, through the gate. And then the Wilmington Island Police Department, um, the precinct out there. Uh, we have a plan and a pad set up and waiting for the box for Carver Heights Community Center. Unfortunately, that box was damaged in transit. Okay. So we've got a replacement coming. I think it's going to be here later this week. Uh, everybody's set. We've got the camera ready to go. It's just a, a question of putting it in. And we're still thinking about one additional box, perhaps out on the west side, mm-hmm. you know, accommodating our friends out in Pooler. Um, that's still a little bit up in the air. And there may be more to talk about between now and the time this airs. But um, right. we're we're that was at our last board meeting that was identified as a definite need okay great let's shift gears a little bit and talk about i I know that this is even confusing for us here at the newspaper who deal with with you all all the time is we are a county that when you talk elections we've got two people here because there are two different offices that help run the elections and i'm going to put it way too i'm going to simplify it way too much and just say that board of registrars basically handles a lot of the stuff that happens before election day and the elections boards handles a lot of stuff that happens on elections day and in, and in, in the time that, 
that follows. But can you two kind of talk about the, the differences between your offices? And I know that it can be somewhat frustrating sometimes that people don't understand the difference. What do people need to know about what falls under Board of Elections purview and what falls under the Board of Registrar's purview? That is a very, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot more complication to what you just outlined. Um, but, you know, we don't just, that, that is Board of Elections, don't just work on Elections Day and, uh, and after Elections Day. Actually, we have to work on putting the ballot together. We have to work on, before that, we have to work on candidate qualifications. Um, and uh, even before that, we work with the Board of Registrars on figuring out voting precincts and, of course, constantly you know, determining polling locations, particularly in this pandemic where polling locations have changed. So, um, you know, it's a constant preparation for elections, and we work, the Board of Elections works together with the Board of Registrars. Um, I think a lot of confusion comes around voting itself. You know, we handle uh, the 92 precincts of on Elections Day uh, in poll voting. So if you go and vote at your precinct in your poll on Election Day, that's Board of Elections uh, staffing those locations. Uh, Collins Group, uh, as he's been talking about this morning, handles the early voting locations uh, and the absentee voting. All of that's considered a function of advanced voting before Election Day. So yeah, it's not this. Um, it's not an arbitrary distinction to have two different boards because there are two pretty distinct sets of responsibilities and and as. Tom says there's a little bit more nuance to it than just, you know, allocating everything before the election to us because they're working just as hard as we are during those days. And, you know, after the election, you know, they're, we're still doing plenty of registration-related stuff. And um, But I would say, yeah, that, uh, you know, our primary responsibilities are registration, absentee ballot administration, and then early voting, mm-hmm. um, those kind of – and some – minor issues with um, certification of new precincts and polling places um, but that's largely uh, an elections and if people call either of our offices with questions that really should be answered by the other office um, I think that most people will tell you that they get a very diplomatic and political right. response say sorry that's something that our friends across the hall here's their number why don't you give them a call and they'll be able to help you out and you both have used the word symbiotic when you talk about what the other one does can you kind of elaborate on on that well we work well together but and i should say our staffs work well together really uh, i would i would use the word fairly seamlessly uh, but that's the way we would have to work together if we were one department and and other counties do have uh, both functions under one department. Um, it just be a larger department. So I kind of like the way we have it here where there is some division of responsibilities, but we work well together. And if you think of symbiosis as like two living organisms that overlap and live together, that's exactly what we have. And we're in the same building. We're separated, you know, for security reasons, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're in the same building handling a lot of the same paperwork, a lot of the same machines, um, sort of making decisions for each other. You know, we, you know, rely upon the Board of Elections to determine how many voting machines will be allocated to the early voting process. And, you know, conversely, when they come up with new precinct lines or new, excuse me, precinct places, polling places, that has to be certified by our office. So there's, you know, a lot of overlap and kind of oversight between the two, just like a symbiotic relationship would be. Now, I I do know that we are somewhat rare in the fact that we do have separate offices. Do you know, going back to whenever, why they decided to have two offices rather than put you all under one roof? I don't know the history of it. I do know that since the time I've been on the board, there have been at least three discussions about combining the two. And so three different county commissions, three different legislative delegations, three different sets of board members have all looked at it and have decided for various reasons that that was not, you know, in the county's best interest, not to say that it wouldn't happen in the future, that new sets of eyes may not see something there to to think about again. But um, 
it has been a topic that has been discussed at length in the last you know 15 years I've been on on the board. Before we start talking a little bit, getting into the weeds in terms of the processing, the other thing that came up a lot in the spring is the difference between what is the state responsible for and what is the county responsible for. And I know that following the June 6th elections, there were, uh, probably to put it most accurately, there were fingers pointed at you guys by the Secretary of State's office, and I'm not here to, to litigate that whole situation, but can you kind of share with us what is the the Secretary of State's role in in elections, and versus what is the county's role? Well, uh, we see that the Secretary of State and the State of Georgia have just uh, created an entire new voting system. A lot of times, we, for shorthand purposes, talk about the new machines, but you don't just get machines; uh, you get an entire system. Uh, which includes regulations, laws, regulations, uh, protocols. It includes people. You know, uh, we've we got to train your staff. Uh, so there's got to be training materials. So kudos to the Secretary of State rolling out this uh, brand new voting system. It's a good system. It's a reliable system. It's a system, I think, that will serve Georgia well for many years that we will come to, to like. Uh, it's new, though, and with anything new, there's things that you got to get used to. So that's a great example of something that the Secretary of State uh, is in charge of, uh, puts in place, uh, probably uh, did a lot of work and research in which system to go with, which vendor to go with, um, and worked it through the General Assembly to get approved by the General Assembly and the governor. Uh, so, you know, the voting system, the voting laws, uh, really is the Secretary of State's domain. Uh, they also maintain, uh, I believe, the statewide database for the voter registration. But, you know, all of that has to come down to a local level. Mm -hmm. The Secretary of State is not going to be, and can't by law, uh, can't administer the elections process or the registration process in the county. That's that's where our boards come in. Right. 159 counties in the state of Georgia. It's got to just be, I guess it's, it's right to have it that way because they can kind of handle the, the big picture stuff and then hopefully hand it down to you all and get out of the way. Right. Right. And they help us too. I mean, they're providing resources because they're hearing, hopefully they're hearing back from us problems that they're having. And so they can put out guidance to us about, hey, uh, you know, this is a good a good tip for you to, as you're preparing for your election, as you're preparing your machines, which is what we're doing now. You know, we're, we're preparing the machines to be used uh, with early voting and on election day. We're going to come back and talk a lot about those machines, but let's go ahead and, and let's take it chronologically and talk about the process now. As Colin mentioned earlier, I actually I mentioned it from, from hearing it from Colin, is the fact that we got 5,600 absentee ballots back already. Those ballots come back to your office. That's right. And what happens then? Where What do you all do versus what do you, what does Tom's folks do in terms of, of uh tabulating or counting or i know we're gonna get into a lot of nomenclature here but how does it work yeah so those ballots are received by us by the board of registrars um you know at this point most of them have been through the mail uh, and when they are received through the mail we log them in with a you know uh, a little stamp that shows the date received and then the process immediately begins of verifying the signatures okay. and um that that's done by staff members um and you know they have a pretty big database of signatures to compare against so every time that you register to vote or change your address or really even go to a polling place and sign a sheet all of those signatures are captured and they're you know kept in the system so we've got a pretty you know robust database to compare against and that's um, a big deal right because people uh, people that are nervous about mail-in voting they always talk about fraud. Yeah. People are, they're worried on two levels. They're worried about their own ballot mm -hmm. and making sure it gets counted. Right. And they're worried about other people manipulating ballots. Ballot harvesting. Right. Ballot harvesting, yeah. Um, so on the, on the one about their own being counted, um, I want to kind of reassure people that, 
you know, we have two staffs that are trained in the process we're talking about. And we have two executive directors who are really thought leaders in the state. I mean, you know, both of our directors have been involved in the process for 20 plus years and are relied upon by, you know, their counterparts in other counties um, for, you know, best practices. Um, but we also have staff members who take their job seriously. This is their, this is what they go to work every day, you know, to do. And they follow the election code, you know, as kind of administered by our, our supervisors at the office. But that, um, that idea of your own vote counting, you can monitor the progress of your absentee. Go into that MVP page, the My Voter page. You can watch as each successive step is reached, each milestone. You know, your, your request is, is um, processed and your ballot is issued and then your ballot is received. And as soon as you know that your ballot is received, then you know that it is going to be uh, processed and counted in the election. Um, so that's the way of addressing anybody worried about their own ballot. Now, as for other ballots, people worry about ballot harvesting or fraud or whatever. I'll start by saying, you know, the director of the FBI, Chris Ray, a former Georgian, by the way, um, went to Yale and then Yale Law School. The guy's got eminent credentials, and he was appointed by a Republican president. He got in front of a majority Republican Senate about two weeks ago and said, look, there is no evidence of any coordinated efforts to f- you know, to defraud the absentee balloting process. Mm-hmm. So sure, there are always going to be isolated pockets of attempts by people to try to, you know, mm-hmm. maybe try to manipulate one or two votes, but there's just no evidence of any coordinated effort to defraud the process. I think, and this is no, you know, um, knock on election day process, but I think that the instance of fraud historically is no greater in the absentee mail-in process than it is on election day. Right. But you can... Um, you can rest assured that, that that the primary way of checking to make sure that an absentee ballot is legitimate, this is worrying about somebody else ballot harvesting, is through the signature verification process. And we have what is effectively a four-level review of that signature uh, to make sure that it is legitimate, that it matches the signature for the voter. Uh, first, a staff member looks at it. If they have any concern, it gets elevated up to a supervisor. Those supervisors look at it, and if they have any concern, it goes up to either Sabrina, our director, or Inger, our deputy director. And then if they have any concern, some of them they can just, you know, dismiss out of hand, like that is not the right signature, you know, or if there's no signature, set it aside. But if there's any issue there, it then gets elevated up to to the board board member. So a questionable signature is reviewed by at least four sets of eyes. Then if there is, um, if there isn't a problem with the signature identified, we give the voter the opportunity to prove to us that that was correct. You right? call them or you, or you, well, we can't call them necessarily because we don't necessarily have, have a telephone number for everybody. We, we would love it if everybody put their telephone number on the registrations, but people tend not to. Right. Um, especially if you registered 25 years ago, you didn't yeah, really think that that was going to be, too, yeah. yeah, could be a different number. Um, but we send what's called a cure letter or a cure affidavit. Mm-hmm. And that gives, you know, all the pretty clear, clearly spelled out steps that you can take to, okay. to show that this was your signature. And that, going back to what we talked about earlier, is another reason to get your absentee ballot in early is, God forbid, there's some issue with your signature. This will give plenty of time for our cure letter to get to you. For you to look at it, see what you need to present in order to validate, yes, that's my signature, yes, that's my ballot. It needs to be counted. Um, we also, in terms of the security of the process itself, uh, the absentee drop-off boxes are all constructed to kind of rigorous standards uh, by these vendors who specialize in the production of these boxes. Uh, you know, um, when necessary, we have uh, the, let's see, it's the county police department who assist by escorting any transportation of any ballots that are coming from an offsite location. Okay. Thankfully, this, this election, that won't be necessary because all the ballots, all of the absentee ballots are staying in um, our office at 1117 Eisenhower. Uh, yeah. So we won't need that, poli- that police ex- escort, right. which, um, which we had to have in the uh, primary because we had to get an, uh, an overflow location offsite. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I work with these people every day. They're passionate people who take seriously the responsibility they have to administer these absentee ballots. And um, and 
I want to give the public reassurance that this is as secure a process as they would expect of you know a, a fundamental right like voting uh, and follows the letter of the law and the spirit of the law uh, that the Georgia election code requires. So you check, you verify the signatures, then you are sorting them by where are they coming from so that when they go to the elections board, they can say, okay, this is this person lives in the district that's going to be subject to this race and it's easier for them to then tabulate? Yeah, so that helps them out in terms of having them pre-prepared by, you know, um, by precinct. Um, one other thing that I failed to mention that is, I think, an important step in the reassurance about security is we also mark on the state system that that it's you know it's, uh, that uh, covers all of the counties and all of the registrations we mark that individual's absentee ballot as having been received which okay. means you no longer can vote um, in person on election day right. and if that person who has submitted an absentee ballot tries to go on election day as some people have tried to recommend mm-hmm. um which by the way is not legal don't no. do that no. um, you in if, trouble. if you have concern about your ballot not having been received by all means like what tom was saying earlier um you can go you can you know talk to the people the polling place uh workers and i think it's a provisional that you actually end up voting but if you mark your absentee as canceled um then you can vote in person but nonetheless um the uh, system is updated to reflect that you have submitted an absentee ballot and therefore you can't double vote on election day. You can also go on, there's a new website to go on to follow. It's ballottracks.com. Okay. I think it's .net. .net. Yeah, Thank you, because I was yeah. trying to figure out. All right, so it's, but it's uh, two T's and the uh, tracks has got an X. Oh. <laughs> so it's B A L L O T T R A X.net. It'll give you a little. Uh, text message updates when each of those milestones is hit. So those ballots come in, you verify the signatures, you sort them into piles based on which races or or where the person lives. And then on October the 19th, it can go over to the election side. And what happens... the ballots are still sealed at that point, Tom? Talk us through that process. So, um, you know, the Board of Registrar's doesn't know how you voted. They just determine whether your vote is a is by a registered voter and whether the signatures match so that it's a valid vote. And I agree with Colin, you know, because I get a lot of calls about confidence in, uh, you know, absentee ballots. And, you know, they do a great job of making sure that all of those votes are legitimate votes. Uh, we don't we don't have that problem in Georgia, and Georgia doesn't send out unsolicited uh, ballots. We just don't send out ballots to everyone, and there's an important reason why. Because I think the addresses of the voters is like 30% have changed or or more. Right. So um, so in other states they may have problems like that. I think Georgia does not have that issue. But, in, but after they've done all of that work, they've never opened the ballot, so they have no idea who you voted for. Uh, but it comes over to our, our office, and we start to process. Eventually, we do open that ballot, and we do eventually count it. Now, we don't, eat, we don't count who voted, who, who won. We don't know who, uh, who voted what and who won until election night. But what we can do, starting on the... Uh, I believe it's October the 19th. 19th, yes. October 19th, we can start receiving those ballots and processing, and we can make sure that, that we have the same number of ballots that the Board of Registrars brought over to us. We can divide them up into batches uh, for processing. We can start to open those ballots. Uh, we can even then scan those ballots into the machine. But without tabulating any of the votes so we won't have any idea who's winning until after the polls close on election night Um, but we're not going to know who won if there's a huge as as anticipated if there's a huge number of absentee ballots until we've counted those absentee ballots and that's expected to take a couple of weeks and that's a key point because i think a lot of people were like well you know, they've got these absentee ballots. Why don't they start early, scan them, maybe uh, sequester the people so that the people know how the race is going? That's 
that's all fine and good. But the way it's set up is where you can open them, you can scan them into the computer, and basically have the computer ready to count them when when the time comes versus you know having people that then maybe know which way one way or the other the race is going right that's right you know i'll say that um the system prior to the onset of the pandemic was such that we could not transfer them over before election day right and um that led to a very you know stressful election day for us to say nothing of the board of elections people who have to count on that day but you know um for the primary in June, they opened it up to eight days, mm-hmm. and I think they recognized even that wasn't enough time. Mm-hmm. And so the Secretary of State, by I think by a state election bulletin, then increased it to um, 15 days, recognizing mm-hmm. that they need to give as much opportunity as possible for those absentee ballots to be processed and scanned you know, everything short of tabulating um, before Election Day. Yeah, I think we saw that in the runoff, right? I mean, obviously a lot fewer votes were cast, but uh, the evening of June, the, the, I want to say June the 9th, or maybe it was June the 6th, but whatever, the primary, not everything was done by the end of the night. On runoff night by 10 o'clock, you guys were turning off the lights and going home because you already had it, all the numbers set, right? Right, and, and if people will get their absentee ballots in now, get them in, get them in early, use those drop boxes, get them in as quickly as you can, so that the board of registrars can process them. We can do that again. I, I believe the the problem is is that you know people can drop those things off, and I've seen it. They they do up to seven o'clock on election night. They will. There's a steady line of people coming in and dropping those things off in the boxes. Uh, and obviously the board of registrars then has to go empty the boxes and process those before they can even bring them over to us. And Colin's right. The, you know, in the, uh, days before the pandemic, uh, they would bring all those over to us, you know, after the elections polls had closed and then we'd have to start on processing them. But in the runoff, we were able to, uh, they had brought, everything over to us and and the board of elections had actually already processed everything that was brought to us um and all we had to do was tabulate um so you know we hope this time to be as prepared we're going to have uh you know two weeks staff for two weeks in there processing these votes and um you know we hope to have all of that caught up and then only have to worry about the ones that are coming in after that. Again, you are listening to a conversation with Board of Elections Chairman Tom Mahoney and Board of Registrars Chairman Colin McRae on the Difference Makers podcast. While Tom and Colin catch their breaths for a moment, I want to invite you to subscribe to savannahnow.com. Hold on now, I've got a deal for you. For a limited time, podcast listeners get the first month for free and pay just $7.99 a month after that for a year. That's an inexpensive way to reconnect with your community one story at a time. You'll get the latest from Savannah City Hall, find out what's going on with our schools, catch the latest sports happenings, and enjoy a blend of diverse, insightful opinion pieces from our many local, state, and national contributors. Visit savannahnow.com slash digital only offer to sign up. That's savannahnow.com slash digital only offer. Now, here's the rest of the Difference Makers interview. In-person voting. Now, I know that this was, this pandemic really threw everybody for a loop. We knew that in-person voting with new machines and everything else was going to be a challenge this year. And the whole, uh, the good part, if you go all the way back to February, was, okay, well, we're going to have the presidential preference primary is going to be in March. That's going to be our first run on the machine. We're going to get to try it out. We're going to get to maybe work out the wrinkles, and then we would be prepared for the primary. The pandemic wiped that out combined everything to a primary that got delayed all the training that was done on the machines had to be done pretty much remotely or was done way in advance before the pandemic spaced everybody out we had some issues uh maybe not so much with the machines themselves but with with training with technicians with making sure they were all hooked up properly that they were all operating properly what do people need to know going into november about how this will be different than what they experienced in June at the precincts themselves. Well, we've had excellent training. 
Uh, and you know, with any new system, you know, the, the old system worked. The old yes. system worked well, uh, and we knew the problems. We knew what you know what the little glitches were, and we trained on what those things were. Uh, right now, we've had our, our first run at it already, and those problems have been incorporated into the training materials. Okay. So we've had good in-person training. People have participated. We've got a, a great turnout. Uh, we can still take more. Um, I, I think we're coming down to the end of training sessions. Uh, oh, for election staff. Or- right. But, you know, for, for elections workers, uh, we've had great training. And so I think that's that's the difference. Um, also, there's one of our training people explained, that, and I think explained it well, uh, that the the people who are doing the elections were scared also mm-hmm. and as soon as something didn't go right with a new new system right a little bit of panic kicked in it's like wait a minute this new system's not working this is brand new to me i've never even seen this thing uh, so hopefully we will not have something like that again because people have seen it They've been able to touch it. They've been able to to train on it. Um, and uh, we also expect to have more techs uh, in the polls to assist if there are some technical problems setting up the equipment. Secretary of State says you're going to have one in every polling place. Is that – do you see that happening? Uh, like I'll give you an example. I vote on Wilmington Island. There's two polling precincts across the street from each other. Are you going to have a tech in each one or – I would love to have a tech in every polling locations. I think that's a great goal for the Secretary of State to put out there. I really appreciate the Secretary of State's efforts in helping us get additional techs in the polls. Um, Now, you know, a a new tech that hasn't done an election before uh, might not be as great as a as a seasoned tech who's done, you know, five presidential elections, uh, and, and that many gubernatorial elections too. Uh, so, you know, our experienced techs will have more experienced techs in the polls. Uh, Chatham County is a big, uh, a big county spread out from corner to corner. Um, and having more techs is really important to us because if you've got to wait on Tybee for somebody to come from even just in Savannah, right. not from the west side, uh, that's a long wait to wait for somebody to come and cover another poll. Uh, you know, I can't say that we'll have a tech in every poll, uh, but I do appreciate the Secretary of State's efforts in trying to get us help to get us more techs. Right. The experience in June and then in the runoff with people using the machines, what kind of feedback did you get in terms of the usability of the machines and the casting of the ballots? Yeah, I, I'm hearing great feedback. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing that people like the new machines. Um, there is an important consideration that I think, you know, it's a touchscreen device, so it's familiar, but it's, it's a different, uh, it's a different touchscreen. And uh, because of the pandemic, you'll be given a, a, a single-use stylus to be able to use to interact with that touchscreen device and then discard that in a box when you leave. But when you go to the end, uh, the old the old system, the touchscreen said cast ballot, and that's not what you do anymore. When you go to the end, it's going to be print, and you're going to print your ballot so you're not done on the touchscreen by a long shot. You can take your printed ballot uh, and you can review it and make sure that it votes for – now, please don't stand at the machine. Don't stand right. at the ballot marking device right. and review your ballot. You know, Stand aside, and you can take time to review that ballot. Make sure that the ballot marking device, the touchscreen, uh, actually selected the candidates that you intended – and then you have not voted until you put that printed ballot into the scanner. Mm-hmm. And so if you walk out with that printed ballot, you will not have voted. So please make sure that you scan, you put your voter into the scanner. I don't like when people call that ballot 
a receipt. Okay. Because it's not a receipt. You don't walk out. It's when you walk out of a store having made a purchase, you come out with a receipt. You're not going to walk out with a receipt. The only thing you're going to walk out with is a little peach sticker that says "I voted." That's your that's your receipt. The little printout that you have is your ballot. And if you walk out with that, you will not have voted. It's interesting we talk about that and. Well, a lot of the concerns before the election started was, well, you know, that that printout of the ballot has what I voted, but what the what the optical scanner is reading is actually a QR code. And I don't know that the QR code actually matches what I voted. What we saw with the hand recount and the recent runoff was should give some people some peace of mind, right? Because the QR code matched what was on the ballot. And we know that for sure now. Right. So, uh, you know, there was no way in Chatham County was basically the test county in the state of Georgia for this because of the hand recount. And uh, there's no way for people uh, I was there watching. They cannot read the QR code. And that's the complaint. So the people that were actually the teams that were counting, hand counting those ballots, instead were reading the words. Mm -hmm. And it did turn out to match the the. the QR code count from the com- from the machines. Right. Yeah, I think it was off by one vote, and it wasn't because of a QR code problem. It That's correct. Something that was counted twice. Let's wrap up and talk about results. There's a lot of concern about uh, you know how soon are we going to know the results of this election. I think a lot of that is focused on uh, what what is considered to be a very close presidential election, and the fact that uh, I guess the stats bear it out, but that. Republicans tend to vote more in person, whereas Democrats are, I won't say they're going to vote more absentee, but more of the absentee votes tend to come from the Democrats, which of course has people worried about, okay, well, if if the Republican is leading at the end of the night to proclaim victory, and meanwhile, you've got a high percentage of absentee ballots out, and that may change the vote in the days that follow. How soon are you thinking in terms of results, and what would you urge people as they sit there on election night, and not just looking at the presidential results, but looking at the, the dumb ballot results? What what would you urge them to do? Well, I'm not expecting to be able to say what the results are for a couple of weeks, uh, and that would be our certification deadline. Um, so I'm really expecting that our counting and, and uh, being able to say the results will be pretty close to that certification deadline and um, now I could be pleasantly surprised that we're able to count uh, the absentee votes Uh, you know if everybody gets them in early we'll be able to process them early and we'll be able to tabulate them more easily but I do urge everybody's patience in this regard because we can see this coming. This is not a surprise. This is not a mistake. This is not a problem. It's just there are different ways to vote. And if you come in and vote in your poll on election day, we'll know that night uh, or uh, you know by the next day the unofficial results of those in-poll voting. Um, it just won't take that long to process the to process and tabulate those votes. Now the um, the absentee process, counting those votes takes longer. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have teams scheduled every day, uh, and we're gonna have uh, hopefully two shifts. That's what we're working on, and uh, they're gonna be they're gonna be counting, um, and we're planning on for as long as two weeks afterwards. So patience, understanding. Yes, <laughs> please. For, for those voters who uh, are members of the public who are concerned about the speed with which a definitive result is given, what I would say is. Would you rather hear something fast or would you rather it be right? Mm -hmm. And what Tom's team and us as partners, what we're trying to do is make sure it's right. Don't you want to make sure that everybody's vote is counted? Mm -hmm. And I I want the public to realize that um, there's also what are called UACAVA ballots, which are those for our military that are deployed overseas. They get a little extra time. Mm -hmm. And so if we were to, or excuse me, not we, if the county and the Board of Elections were to try to certify something on the night of the election, that would necessarily cut out all of those military 
ballots received from overseas and does somebody really want in the interest of having a you know expedited response on the night of the election night know that our members of the military their votes don't count right. so that's just a thought for those who are you know rushed to judgment about getting a a, a, a um, certification back on election night yeah i think a lot of people outside the elections community are going to be doing a lot of math to try to figure out how many are outstanding and can I call this and can I do that, especially people in, in my business. And it's going to take a lot of patience on all our standpoint, on all our parts and uh, to get this certified. But I could sit here and, and talk to you guys for another hour, but we're probably up against it. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and leave the conversation there. Thank you for what you do. And thank you. Please express our our thanks to the staffs of the, of the registrars and the elections board. And um, good luck to you, and God bless. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, Adam. That's a wrap on this episode of Difference Makers. Thanks to guests Tom Mahoney and Colin McRae. And also thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Plant Riverside District Developer Richard Kessler, Savannah's go-to authority on hurricanes, storm modeler Chuck Watson, and convenience store magnet Greg Parker. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. On behalf of myself and producers Asha Gilbert and Zach Dennis, thank you for listening. The next Difference Makers will post October the 23rd.